All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. Perry Orth, former Gamecock quarterback. Perry, thanks for being here. Yeah, man, I appreciate having me on. Excited to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing now, and then obviously dive into the the football X's and O's, which is what wakes me up out of bed still absolutely. to this day. Yeah, even absolutely. even being the volunteer QB coach at AC Flora. Hey it, man, uh, it's all good. Going. It's all good. Yeah, I I still love it and talk about it and mm-hmm. want to keep doing it. So I hear you. Um, so let's start off here. Um, I know you're from Florida, around the Jacksonville area. Take us real quick through recruiting and and whatnot, and how you ended up at, uh, in Columbia at Carolina. Yeah. So um, always wanted to play big time football from the time I was a little kid and was able to even understand and watch college football. And, um, high school was going well, was playing really well, uh, getting a lot of accolades, which was great, but wasn't getting the recruitment that I thought I felt, or I felt that I deserved, but being an undersized quarterback and, um, the amount of six foot, 195 pound, 200, um, high school quarterbacks that are out there, there, there are a dime a dozen of those. And, um, so I didn't, I didn't really have anything that separated me out on film from, oh, I throw a nice tight spot, stuff like that. And um, so I finally got an opportunity to choose between South Carolina or USF in Tampa as a preferred walk-on. And I wanted to play in the SEC. I, I wanted to at least give myself the opportunity to say, you know what, at least I tried at the you know, the highest level. And my high school coach, he had sent probably 15 quarterbacks to the division one level. And he told me junior and senior year, if you were six, two, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be having these discussions. You know, you'd be choosing right. where you wanted to go. So I was like, well, if, if he really thinks I'm that good, mm-hmm. what the hell is two inches going to do when you're actually playing football? Exactly. And so I went up here and, and, and coach Spurrier called me on signing day and, and offered me the preferred walk on. Um, I knew it was coming, but he officially extended that to me. Um, I didn't have one of those cool fake PWO signing days like the kids do now, like where you yeah. sign nothing, like you're right. not signing a scholarship. What are you right. signing? Right. But, you know, it's cool. So I didn't have one of those. Um, and so that was something that fueled me when I got to college. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I ended up at Carolina and um, ended up having to take a gray shirt because of a, an academic rule that South Carolina has where – they only allow the scholarship players to get into the university as like, uh, you know, whereas they wouldn't get in on their own. Okay. Um, so they're getting in basically because they were brought in to play football, but they, they, they were eligible based off of NCAA standards. Well, okay. if you're not a scholarship player, um, you have to get in on your own. Well, by the time I had applied, it was February of my senior year. I was sending in applications and they sent me a letter back saying that, um, my applications, the, the application status was full. I was accepted into the school, but not till January. So I had to actually wait a semester. Um, and, and technically that was my red shirt year. Now, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have 
wouldn't have taken any classes at the community college because then my first year, 2013 would have been my freshman year oh, um, versus okay. my red shirt freshman year. But I was already older for my grade. I was 19 right. when I graduated high school and I was like, I don't want to be a 25 year old red shirt right. senior. Um, but looking back, I wish I would have done that, <laughs> but sure. uh, no, it was, it was good. And then, yeah, I got USC and, and that's, that's really how I got to, to Carolina and still here to this day, living in Columbia, obviously. Yeah, good deal. Um, we'll get to what you're doing right now with AC Floor, QB1. Let's talk a little X's and O's. Um, Andy and I, Andy Boyd and I, got into the basics of play call under Steve Spurrier. You know, mm-hmm. a very basic bandit left Mills. You know, and then there was a pass co- protection in between, typically. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, so, yeah, no, so like your call, like you're saying bandit left mills. Um, so yeah, you'd have, you'd have your bandit left, which put the tight end into, or put, put the tight end to the left, typically to the boundary, mm-hmm. unless you wanted that one to the field, you'd put the tight end to the field with a single receiver out by himself. Um, we did that a lot with Farrell Cooper, mm-hmm. um, just because he was better than most of the DB. He was more agile than most of the DBs that were covering him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he, he could really beat that man-to-man defense. But anyway, yeah, you'd go bandit left. River or Lake was a six-man protection. Cinco was five. Um, and then you'd call Mills, which was the post-dig concept. And then the backside, you'd either have like a smash concept or you'd leave the tight end to stand and block and put the backside uh, receiver either on a comeback or some kind of a deep corner to try to attract the other safety so you could really – focus on that play side post dig combination. Right. So that kind of leads me to a couple of things. So Steve Spurs offense is kind of unusual in the fact that there's not like a rhyme and reason so much for play calls, if that makes sense. Like there's no King and Queen or Liz and Riz or yeah. something like that. The it's- names of the plays don't really make sense. They're not like, they're not football names. They're just like, he came up with a play and he just gave it a name. Like right. he could, he could have been like bandit left remote and it meant this. Right. Um, but some of the motions did, you know, mm-hmm. you, you'd have your, now your rip and your Liz was, was yeah. an offensive line protection, but your, you know, your zip talked about the Z coming inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, zap was across the formation. Um, different stuff like that. Uh, Rocket was taking the tight end and moving um, from left to the right of the formation. But Coach Spurrier's play calling was all about deception. It was all about um, misleading the defense into thinking we were going to do one thing but do another. So, for instance, like if we were lined up in a three-by-one formation, we would start in three-by-one knowing that if we would motion to a two by two formation, he was going to get them into the defense, say their three by one coverage was man to man. Mm -hmm. But if they knew from three by one and you motioned into two by two, the team's automatic check on the field was quarters. Mm -hmm. So he would call, he'd be like, he, he would call a trio, right? Zap Lake mills right so if you motion across now you know they're covering calling your cover four and now you're able to throw that post right yeah and like you said it was moving parts get them you know to think you're set up on one way knowing what that defensive check's gonna be when you make that motion call yeah Mm -hmm. 
So one question um, with um, protections, as far as shifting protections in his offense, is that on the line? Is that the center's call? Is that a combination? Or where's the quarterback's responsibility in that? Yeah, so Spurrier and Coach Roper, who I played for my senior year, were two different. So um, under Spurrier, that was on the center. Under Roper, it was the quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. So the center would then, uh, based off of what they saw in film, would set the protection to the field or to the boundary based off of what they saw all week um, during film. You know, if you had a a threat of four, Mm -hmm. you'd slide the center guard tackle to that side. Right. Um, and have the back play the backside linebacker, or he would look left and then come back and pick up right. Whereas Coach Roper's, um, he really taught me the protections and how they work. And, hey, this is, if we get a four down front, the offensive line is going to have the four down and the will, and the running back is responsible for Mike and Sam. And if Mike and Sam come, that's on you to cite it, look at the receivers and say, here comes double pressure. One of them's unaccounted for. That was where they would break off and run the double slant. You'd catch it and throw it. Right, behind it right behind his ear. And, I mean, to me, again, my experience is high school level, but I could see how having the quarterback involved in that is going to be helpful as long as he can handle it because yeah. even the center can only see certain things from yeah, his exactly. vantage point. Yeah, it, it does. It um, <clears throat> it helped a lot as far as pressures. Like I felt like even though I didn't play as much, I was much more protected or I felt more comfortable being mm-hmm. in the pocket knowing that I know where things are coming from. Right. Um, but, yeah, playing quarterback, is, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And if you have a quarterback that is ultra-talented with that knowledge, mm-hmm. you're going to win games. He's going to put you – in the position to win a lot of games, you know, whether you do or not, you know, you can't completely throw it all on the quarterback, but um, he's a huge part in it. Right. And, you know, with coach Spur, you were talking about, it was all deception. You know, I, I played for a great high school coach in South Carolina, coach Davis, Spartanburg high school. I got hurt my senior year and spent some time standing beside him during practice. And one of the things he told me that stuck with me when I coached was it's all smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Let's get six plays. We're really good at and run it out of, Every formation we can think of, throw a motion in there, change the window dressing, smoke and mirrors. We're still just running an ISO, but it looks something different. You yeah. Know? And, and that's a similarity. And the other thing about Coach Spurrier, when he got in a groove calling plays, I, I, I mean, I, I'll digress to you here, but I don't know, though, if there's anybody better at calling plays when he's in the groove. Yeah, no, you're right, is that when he had a feel and he knew exactly and could kind of pick up tendencies and understand what <clears throat> what the defense was trying to accomplish, he was the best. And when he was dialed in, games that come to mind in 2014 – um, when we were down at Auburn and Dylan threw for like 500 yards and six touchdowns or five touchdowns, something ridiculous. And, um, you know, when we played Georgia at home that year, or one of the years, the one of the, the games in 2013, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it may have been the Clemson game or um, it may even, I think we did lose to Georgia that year, but even still the, the offense was on point. We were really hitting. Um, and when he felt like he had you that, I mean, 
it didn't matter who was playing for him because he'd give you play calls that were easy right. and manageable. You know, it, yeah. was, uh, it was definitely different, you know, going from where you felt like, okay, I really feel confident in this play to playing for an under uh, another regime where mm-hmm. they'd call a play and you'd be like, oh, damn, this, this is not going to work. But <laughs> this is not going to be good. good. Thing, <laughs> the good thing about Coach Spurrier is that he really never put guys, and I think he got himself in trouble at the end of his career, South Carolina, um, especially in that last year, putting guys out on the field that were, just simply weren't ready to play. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they were junior or freshman, they weren't ready to play. And, and he gave Connor Shaw and Dylan um, a lot of leeway as to saying, hey, if you don't like the play that's called and you see something, I, I trust you to change it and get us into a good play. You know, I can't mm-hmm. see everything. I'm not back there and behind there. Um, and uh, and so you, you saw a lot of success with Connor and Dylan because he gave <clears throat> he gave them the ability to do that. Um, and he gave me the ability to do that as well. Now I only got to play for him or start for him for maybe two or three games. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it gave me a lot of comfortability because, you know, you put in so many hours during the week that you say, okay, well, I, this is clear as day. This is cover three. I'm not going to call, a, you know, whatever kind of play. I'm going to try to get the ball in my hand quick or call four verts, try to push down the field. And right. he, he felt comfortable with allowing you to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, like you said, when he had players that were ready, that autonomy puts you in the right spot, puts you in a place to be successful as a quarterback and the whole offense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. What's what's so different about Coach Spurrier to me? He played the position. He played it at a high level. Heisman Trophy winner, 10 years in the pros. So that kind of gets me to my next question. A film review of a Saturday game, Monday, Sunday, whenever film review, I can only imagine what Coach Spurrier is like going through a game film after a game, good game or not. He probably had some zingers. Oh, there was no doubt. I mean, he always did. It was like you could never – no matter how well you played, no matter how well you threw the football, he just assumed and expected it of you. You know, I had the first game I ever really got time in was in 2015 against Kentucky. We ended up losing, um, but I played really well. It may have been one of the best halves of football that I ever played. Mm-hmm. And, you know, threw for almost 200 yards in two quarters and really, really Felt like I saw the f- the field well, d- took care of the ball. I did throw a late pick on, which wasn't a bad read. It was a bad decision to try to throw it into a tight window. But, you know, I, I was intrigued to see how that would turn out in film. And, you know, that he got stuck on one play where Jarrell Adams was tight end and he was running a cover two post and he was open in the end zone on one of the plays where the linebacker was, we were trying to high low the middle linebacker to either right. come down on the spot or, or, or if he was going to sink back under the post, we'll take the spot and just take the mm-hmm. check down. Well, linebacker was playing in between both the post and the check down. So I threw it to the check down just to be safe. I couldn't tell. It looked like he was backing up. So I just took the check down, seven-yard gain. Well, we ended up losing by like three. Um, and he goes, he looks at, you know, he's running the, the the tape during film. And he goes, looks at me and goes, you know, Perry, if you'd have thrown that ball, 
you know, we'd have won the other night. We'd be two and zero, maybe even be ranked right now. And uh, <laughs> and and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, you kind of expect that. Well, then mm. practice field, and you start throwing routes on air. And what's the first route he calls? That post route by the tight end. Mm-hmm. You throw it and you complete it. You're in helmets only. You know, no one's guarding them. You're just throwing. And he goes, you know, well, shit, Perry. If you'd have thrown that ball the other night, we'd have won. And he did it. <laughs> The rest of the week, all the way up until Thursday, playing Georgia, and we're still throwing that same route and routes on air, and he's still telling me the exact same thing. Yeah, shit, Perry. You know, you'd have thrown that ball. You know, we'd be two and zero. Now we're one and one. Hopefully, you'll see it this week. <laughs> well, I can remember I saw him at a high school coaches clinic once, and I think if I'm remembering right, Coach Rick was going through something he was doing at Georgia, and Spurrier's in there watching. You know, and it ends up, of course, that one point it's Georgia, Florida, and he's showing this route successfully. I think it was a broken arrow with a tight end, safety, single high drops. You come underneath, he comes up, you go behind him. You know, a good little concept for a high school quarterback. And he's showing it over and over. And it was against Florida. And I don't even know what year it was from, but Coach Spurrier kind of just stood up at one point and was like, you know, Mark? We won that game and gave the exact score and every single thing that happened. So I can totally see him not being able to let something go because he was just, it was just, he had taken it and taken it. He was like, you know what? Nah, we won that game. I'm pointing this out right now. Uh, And I thought that was pretty funny. No, that, uh, that is coach Spurrier to a T. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about going from Coach Spur to playing for Coach Roper. One of the things I've heard you mention before was the way the progressions of your reads worked under Spur as opposed to Roper. I'm a football nerd, so I look up online for playbooks and stuff like that. One of my friends makes fun of me about it all the time. But Coach Spurrier's system seems to be very much like what I would call an if-then read. If you've got this coverage, look to this spot. If you've got too high, go here. If we got this pre-snap, check away from it. Am I reading that right? Was it yeah, very? No. Yeah, that, you're exactly right. It was an if-then. If you're getting cover four, this is your read to your check down. If if you're in three, you're playing this side. If you're playing, if you got open middle, you're playing this side, whereas now what most teams are trending towards is the pure progression is the one to two to three. Um, and it's not so much based off of coverage, but the way that um, you can, you can read coverages is you can eliminate different progressions mm-hmm. through your progression based off the coverage you get. Right. So for instance, the example I always use when describing that is we had a play under Coach Roper's system. It was two by two. The left outside, just put this in your head. You got the ball in the mm-hmm. middle of the field. Left receiver, far left receiver is running a go route. So if you got cover zero, like full out blitz, mm-hmm. that's that's your alert route, right? That's your right. catch and throw. If you feel like taking a shot, that's your guy. You're, you're throwing that thing. Um, if you don't like it, if they're playing off – um, cover three quarters coverage, whatever. Then you'd start your progression, which was one, you take the flat, 
Mm-hmm. Two, you have the shallow cross by the tight end coming right into your vision. Or three, mm-hmm. you'd have a dig route coming Over behind. Mm-hmm. And four, the running back was swinging out. So if you didn't like your alert, you'd go one, two. If you had cover two where the corners are mm-hmm. sitting in the flat, you knew you could eliminate that first flat route. You're not going to turn right. and throw a flat to a corner sitting right there. So mm-hmm. you don't even need to look. The only way you would look is if you're thinking in your head, like safety's cheated inside a little bit on that hash. I'm going to try to throw that whole shot. See if that corner will drive down on the flat and I'll throw it over his head. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, then you'd work right from your shallow cross to your dig Mm -hmm. to your check down. Right. So here comes that shallow cross linebackers. They're out playing their zone. That tight end now would read, okay, if, if, if I don't get zone or if I'm in zone coverage, I'm going to try to find that middle ground between the linebackers and break it down, show my numbers, ball comes out, pop right to him. Mm-hmm. Um, then if, if for whatever reason you didn't like that, here comes the dig. So you'd go one, two, three, and then four if needed. So um, that was that was a big difference because, you know, my way of doing – football and playing quarterback was if then if here here if right. here here exactly versus the here 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 mm-hmm. and that's to me you know what made coach spurrier's system so quarterback friendly you know if i can pick up on what's happening i know where to look i mean i've even heard you talk about when he was with the Orlando Apollos, I think they were called. You were watching a game and saw the coverage, kind of saw what was happening, and were like, oh, I know this is – here comes the post for a touchdown because you just knew what yeah. Coach Spurrier would, would want right there and where the QB should be looking and things like that. Yeah, if you're a South Carolina fan and you're not doing anything on these cold, rainy days that we're getting – Go back and watch some old games from 2009 till when he left. How many times you would see a play called where the quarterback would lift his leg, stand mm-hmm. there and look, and then wait for the defense to show what they were doing, right? And then a play would come in. Um, after years, people caught on and were like, mm-hmm. we got to stop showing our coverage. So right. We got to play from the sideline. The defense would then change. So that was where he put the power into the quarterback's hand. Say, listen, you get up there, lift your leg and see it. You call it, you know, it, you know, what plays. And we would have a cheat sheet. If we were in this formation or two by two or three by one, we were going to have two plays for each coverage. So if we were in two by two and we were getting covered two, my checks were either smash or it was all go with the bender, right? Mm-hmm. So you could either throw the middle of the field post or the whole shot. Gotcha. Um, and if it was cover three and you were in three by one, we were either going to go menu eight or steamer Z, right? Mm-hmm. So it, um, you had your place. And even still to this day, I still remember him because he would drill them right into your, it was like coded into your DNA to have it, your cheat. Right. It felt to me a little air raid-ish in the fact that like these are our things we know what we want to do it may have changed weekly based on the defenses but like you just said a cheat sheet of checks two by two we get this coverage i'm going here i'm getting us out of whatever we were in if they shift and show me this this is where i'm going and just takes the guesswork out of it yeah it does um 
And that's why regardless of the success or the wins and the losses um, that you had, you look at some of the, the, the most passing yards that we had were um, either right at the beginning, like when he had the Blake Mitchell, when he had a passing quarterback who right. wanted to throw the ball, like a Blake Mill- Blake Mitchell or even Garcia at times. Mm-hmm. And then Connor would like to run a little bit, but as Connor got older, his yards per game started yeah. going up because he felt more comfortable being in the pocket. Then you look at Dylan and then um, some of the games that I played in under him, there were a lot of yards being thrown because it was, it was a passing friendly offense. Well, and it just goes to reps and taking the thinking out of it. It's reactionary. And, you know, you mentioned Connor. I can remember, I think it was 2011 night game, Georgia at home, that first half. We get up 21 nothing, And it was one of those games where whatever Todd Grantham called on defense, Coach Spurrier was ready for. I yeah. don't think a ball hit the ground that first half for Carolina. It was just, you know, big completion, big completion, big completion. I think Buster and... Connor had one miscue and then he hit Bruce on a backside corner where it was one of those roll, right? Drop it back the other way. And it worked because we knew exactly where the defense was going to be. And so I think about Connor, when he first started off playing quarterback, he was going to reuse his legs where on that play to me as a fan, I was like, that took a second to develop and he was trained to roll right anyway. And I'm sure there was a read of, Hey, if you get this, take off, get your seven yard run, get out of bounds, live to play another down. But he was patient with it, confident in it, came across the formation and Bruce is standing in by himself in the end zone, which that's Bruce Ellington. Everybody probably was watching where he was going except for that particular moment. So yeah, it just seems so ingrained. You said gets in your DNA. You know, you haven't played for Coach Spurrier in a few years, but I'm sure you could reel it off right now. Week whatever, this is our checks. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it, it just be you, – you didn't have a choice. I mean, if you wanted to play, you were going to do that. He could, he could tell instantly if the quarterbacks – Knew what they were going, knew what they were doing going into the game. If they were well prepared, if they were ready to, to to step up and make those checks themselves, and um, you know, GA Mangus helped us a lot too. Yeah. If if there was something we were like, hey, what do we do? And then he'd give us something. You know, he'd give us a, you know, I hey man, I can't really tell what's going on either. Just check and run an inside zone, kind of a thing. <laughs> right. Um, I got you. And yeah, so it was good. We. We did a lot. There was a lot of learning. Um, I was fortunate enough to ha- to have two years of waiting in the wings and watching before having to play, right. um, which helped a ton in my development. So we've talked a little about you as a coach, you with QB1. Tell us, the folks who are listening, about QB1, what it is, what you're doing with that group. Yeah, so I just started my own quarterback training business right when I got done playing four years ago. And it's turned into something I never thought it would. I mean, I, I thought I wanted to do it just as something um, 
to make a little bit of extra money, but then when you realize how many kids actually need good quarterback work, kids, I mean, they'll drive all over. We're having a camp this weekend. We got kids coming from all the way from the beach, all the way from Florida, all the way from North Carolina. I mean, they're coming from all over the place just to get that good quality coaching. And, um, and it, it's drills are important, but the older I've gotten, the more I've steered away from drills mm-hmm. to, what's actually applicable for real time football. We need to make sure our form is correct more so than just doing um, a bunch of quarterback footwork drills just as like a workout. Right. Cause um, when I was playing, I could just pick up a ball and throw it and it just had a nice spiral and everything worked out, but how to be able to elaborate on it mm-hmm. to show kids that don't have that ability to do um, to pick up a ball and just throw it and it goes the way it's supposed to. Um, understanding that and um, it's paid off you know I've got maybe five or six kids playing in college Hunter Helms right now he's battling to be the backup at Clemson Uh, Grayson Underwood same thing down at the Citadel Um, got a kid at UNC Charlotte got a couple other kids that are playing at some other smaller schools and uh, and then a couple of the kids on the team at Carolina now have come out and and worked out a few times on their own and uh, and so it's been good man and anytime that you can get out on the field and you get paid to teach kids how to throw a ball and you throw it around yourself. It's pretty good. Yeah. That's a fun time. No doubt. No doubt. So two quick things before I let you go, obviously we just had super bowl 55. You play the position, you coach it. You have a tutoring service for coach for coaching quarterbacks. Let's talk for a hot second, Tom Brady. This guy is unreal. We all know that, you know, as I'm an Eagles fan, so I'm no Patriot, you know, Tom Brady apologist or anything, seven Super Bowl championships, five MVPs. It doesn't get any better. How does a guy like that and Perry, you played, go six rounds of not getting drafted, 199 to go do what he does? As much as you've studied the position, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have a lot of misses guys who weren't highly recruited or are highly drafted being successful. How's that happen in the QBB position? Yeah. Well, you can never underestimate the will of somebody. You can't, you know, I just watched a little Tom Brady this weekend talking about it. It was something that came out and that when ESPN was doing the year of the quarterback, mm-hmm. And you can't, you don't have the ability to rip open their chest and see like what makes them tick. Whereas if you go back and you look at Tom Brady now, hindsight's 2020, but you look at some of the games that he played in and the way they won and the way he played, you'd think like, oh my God, this kid is a slam dunk. He really reminds, Mac Jones reminds me a lot of Tom Brady. Mac Jones is the name that I can assure you will be a very, very good quarterback because you can't that kind of determination and focus and mental preparation mm-hmm. will far outlast somebody with the skill set of a Cam Newton. Right. Um, Mac Jones, like a Tom Brady, has all the physical abilities to play quarterback in the NFL at a high level. He may not be the most gifted naturally like a Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm-hmm. But 
the mental preparation. So Tom Brady, so quick to understand where he needs to go with the football, and he's so deadly accurate. That's another thing that is so underestimated. His accuracy is off the freaking charts. Mm-hmm. Mentally, he's so prepared. I mean, the guy watches. I think they said on that show, he said in Tom versus Time that came out on Facebook, if you haven't watched it, highly recommend go back on YouTube and watch it. The episode's like 30 minutes long. The, he watches like seven, eight hours of film a day. Wow. Um, so you, you, he's putting in 40 hours a week of film on the opposing team. Mm-hmm. So you think he's going to have an idea of what he's getting ready to see on Sunday? Yeah, you bet. Right. Tied in with right. his knowledge of the ability to check in and out of positive place. He's always seemed to have a decent offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they were phenomenal in Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was good for him to have a good coach and Belichick to always have good defense. Um, but the culture that he has established wherever he's gone, and mm-hmm. it's it's not even a culture of winning. It's just always being prepared and right. ready to play. And that he he's a fighter. He's a, he's. I mean, he seems super casual and nice, but he's probably the most competitive quarterback that I have watched in my lifetime. I mean, you got a 43-year-old mm. dude chasing after defensive backs to talk trash to them right? and to rip into them for whatever they may have said throughout the course of a game. Right. And um, you, can't, you can't underestimate the will that somebody well, and has. I, I remember – may have been the same doc you watched where he talked to Bob Kraft about, you know, he walked up to him at training camp or something and said, I'm the best decision you've ever made, or I'm going to change this organization. And I mean, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and that's great that he had, but he had the confidence and you just talked about also the, the preparation, the focus, the heart in his chest, like you put all those things together. There's a lot of guys who want to say, Hey, I'm going to be the next great thing, but they don't put in the work. I mean, at four, like you said, at 43 years old, this guy is still chasing it to be the best. And he is, you know, he can rest on his laurels. Dude, people don't understand the work that that man actually puts in. They don't, and, and, and to be honest, I, I don't even know if I don't. I, I know how hard I worked to, to mm-hmm. get myself physically, mentally, um, emotionally prepped to play and to get on scholarship and to beat out three, four-star All-Amer- high school All-Americans to get to where I was at. But the, the, the dude has a poor calorie inserted in his body Mm-hmm. in in years i mean he wakes up and has the same thing for breakfast every day um he he works out the exact same way you look at his physique at 43 years old and it's he's in the top percentile of 43 year old men in this country um maybe not based off of mu- muscle definition but um just health and physical appearance and ability to stretch and move and run and I mean, I remember there are guys, people saying, you know, in their mid thirties being like, man, I don't, I can't even move. My back is hurting all this X, Y, and Z. And this dude's out there playing elite professional football, if not, you know, easily still top five quarterback in today's game, if not number two behind maybe Mahomes. Right. Um, the dude is unbelievable. And when people start talking about arm strength, he's getting older and he's got arm strength issues. What what planet are you on? What, right. what game are you watching? Arm strength issues. This dude is zipping 
the ball all over the field. Yeah, he may not throw the ball as far in Green Bay. Well, neither does Aaron Rodgers. Right. Well, yeah. that throw he made to Gronk on the second touchdown uh, against the, in the Super Bowl against uh, the Chiefs, that was a freaking laser. That was yeah. a frozen rope down the seam that if he floats it, that incomplete. That's at best a tipped ball, at worst an interception. And it was, yeah, 43 years old, 23 years old, 33 years old. That, that was a throw. Yeah. And I I remembered watching that going because you know you hear all that stuff and you're like oh, okay yeah I mean and you start to think I mean the man is 43 years old he he's got of lost a little bit of his fastball and maybe he has a, a slight bit but at least on that throw that thing there wasn't a single quarterback in the NFL who's who's making a better throw in that situation yeah no no he, he's he's something else man he uh, he's definitely we need to we need to enjoy this because I I don't. I mean, how, how do you go on and say, like, this will ever be duplicated? All right. Yeah. I agree. All right. So last question for you, man. Um, getting a little bit back to our pod. Um, so we like to call ourselves the slightly above average football podcast, football fan podcast, excuse me. So I ask everybody this question. What's the one thing you can hear a fan say? You know, maybe you're in the stands at Williams Bryce. Maybe it's when you're working with AC Flora, whatever the case may be, watching a game at a bar, whatever that you're like, this guy does not get what's going on right now. Like he's yelling out, you know, blitz or, or go for it or, or, you know, take this guy out, you know, whatever it is. What's your thing? Everybody has a thing like Langston Moore. I talked to him. He said that when he was helping out with Carolina calls after games, he got so sick of hearing people say we should use the tight end more. We got to use the tight end more. Like there's got, everybody has that one thing. Do you, can you think of one thing that you're like, Oh my God, if I hear this person say this, I know he doesn't know football. Yeah, it's anybody that tries to judge or critique the quarterback position. Yeah. Honestly, that listening to people's opinions and their version of a breakdown of the quarterback position is, it, dude, I'm telling you, it is absolutely mind numbing. And and I'll tell people, you know, straight from the hip, like, right. dude, you just got to stop. You don't know what you're talking about. Sorry, I hate to be rude. Like, if even tonight, if you had started breaking down quarterback play and mm -hmm. you were way off, I'd have been like, hey, Andrew, just pump the brakes, man. Like, yeah. I've heard enough. You yeah. Know, because there's so many moving pieces to it. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not here to sit and tell you that quarterbacks don't deserve any of the blame or they're spotless and blah, blah, because they, they, they do. They do a lot of things wrong. Um, but – like you'll be watching a game and the quarterbacks roll into the right and throws it out of bounds, but the backside receiver on the back end of the field may be mm -hmm. wide open. And right. oh, how did you not see him? He's over there. Well, you realize that he's running for his life and you right. can only see what's in front of you. You can't see what, you know, I don't know what's going on in my garage right now. Right. You know? yeah. I can kind of look at glance over there, but I don't know what's going on over there. You know, like, right. stuff like that. It's just, it, it's moronic and I don't really have time for it now that I'm not playing. Right. I don't care. I can let it fly on anybody. So. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things, like even when you watch an interception, like you talked about a situation there, but if you watch an interception without knowing the play, without knowing what's going on, you don't know, like everybody wants to throw that on the quarterback. And listen, yeah. I played uh, offensive yeah. line. I've made all my quarterback jokes in my day uh, and whatnot, but like, 
you know, as a fan sitting in the stands, unless I got a headset on that tells me, hey, we're running this play and I can see from the end zone or from the press box there in this coverage, I don't know that quarterback threw the wrong ball. I don't yeah. know where he's looking. And so there, like you said, there's so many moving parts. And I totally agree with you. Like, you're right. Like, I'm not going to see, I, I stay in my lane. Like, I know quarterbacking to an extent, to the point I needed to know it, to be an offensive lineman and then an offensive line coach and then a tight end coach and all that. But I never played it. I don't, you know, I saw a video recently. I was, like I said, I'm a football junkie. I was watching something Coach Spurrier did where it was way back in the day with, with Shane Matthews. And he was talking about ball placement as, as you're taking it back. And then he talk, started talking about head position as a quarterback. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've never considered my, like where a quarterback's holding his head and how that might impact his ability to throw the football. And like, that's just me not knowing that position. And, and so you're, you know, there's so much to it and quarterbacks, you know, sometimes they get too much credit. A lot of times they get too much blame Mm. and you're exactly right. It's the most, and I'm sure some folks would disagree to me, it's the most difficult position in, in sports. You're, you're, you're just having to process so much. If it is a three-step drop, you're figuring out where the linebacker is, what coverage they're in. If it's an option route, is my wide receiver making the same read as me? That's a lot of information to digest in point well, yeah, seconds. You, yeah, you hadn't even started talking about the the defensive line front or where pressure's coming or what the secondary might be doing. You know, right? That so you you've got ten guys trying to operate on point and on cue, and you're the director while also competing versus eleven guys trying to stop you. Um, right. And if anybody um, thinks that quarterback is not, I've played literally every sport since the time I was born, even to now, whether it's playing volleyball in an adult league, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or playing soccer or baseball or basketball, or um, I can't ice skate. So I don't, I can't talk about hockey. So I guess hockey would be for me. But if you think playing quarterback is, uh, is not join a flag football league and be the quarterback for two or three games. Mm -hmm. And you tell me, what that's like now that's flag now imagine doing that and getting the absolute crap beaten out of you physically having having to do it over and over again then then you come and tell me um if you you still want to be be that guy and then not to mention you throw in with all the social media stuff that comes with being a quarterback as well and the ass chewings from everybody including your coaching staff your friends your family your fans your professors the kids that you're sitting next to in class the cute girl that's not talking to you anymore that was last week right you know, um you tie all of that in to your performance on saturday afternoon in front of millions of people when you're facing georgia on the road and you're mm-hmm. 11 versus theirs and all that mm-hmm. you tell me how you would do yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Toughest position in sports. Man, I really appreciate talking to you tonight. Uh, a lot of good stuff, man. Really an awesome experience. Uh, everybody, make sure and subscribe, rate, and review us. Uh, let's get us up the charts so people can hear good stuff like this from Perry Orth. Perry, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it, man. Yeah.